Good morning, everyone. Nice to see everybody. Renew some old acquaintances and friendships. Hello to everyone on the internet. Um, good to see everybody again. Uh, some friends that I've been making through the Wednesday night Bible studies that uh, I'm sure are watching. Greetings to you and those who may be watching this through the recorded message later on. Today is the 19th day of the third month in God's calendar. We're exactly 100 days from the Feast of Trumpets, so I know we just came through Pentecost, but Feast of Trumpets and the Fall Holy Days are just uh, are won't be long before they're here. I do get to watch the this uh, broadcast usually every week while we're uh, our services back home are at 1:30. So while we're getting ready or waiting for the time to leave, I do usually tune in. Haven't commented yet, so maybe I'll take John up on that offer and, and place a comment while we're watching. But the technological marvels that are open to us are simply amazing. The fact that. This service is, uh, while there are 30 or 40 brethren here, this service is being broadcast around the world on several different um, opportunities through social media, is simply incredible. And when you think about it, that we can be in a perpetual state of communication. If you think back 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, who would have thought we would be in a place like we are today, where we are in a 24-7 state of constant and perpetual communication? But, having said that, are we really great communicators? The fact that we can be in a state of constant communication doesn't mean we have good communication skills. George Bernard Shaw, an Irish playwright from the early 20th century, said that the single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. Think about those profound words for a moment. The single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that we've actually communicated. This concept of communication is becoming ever more important in these postmodern, in this postmodern world that we that we are in. You look at not just politics, but politics all over the world where people can't even have a conversation anymore. Social circles, cultural circles, it becomes no longer a a communication where we can exchange ideas, but we argue. We don't speak to each other, we speak over each other. As I begin this message, what I would like to do today, and especially because this is being recorded and sent out, I would like to dig into the concept of godly communication. I think as we... And what I'd like to show you is as we progress through the times that the Scripture tells us about, you've seen, you've heard, uh, not just here, the Wednesday night Bible studies where we have gone into the book of Revelation. Uh, Bill Watson here has gone through uh, Daniel in great detail. As we see society devolving around us, communication in the world, while it is 24-7 and perpetual and constant, the quality of communication is actually at probably an all-time low, a historical low in how we communicate. And what we can't do is allow that type of, of poor communication to seep into the church. And when I use the word church, I mean the greater body of Christ, of which we are just a small corner. So as we begin to look at this concept of communication, and the title of the message is Communication, Illusion, or Reality. Illusion or reality. What I would like you to do is I would like to 
have you check out some other messages. Uh, one, of my, one of our Canadian ministers who gets down here quite often, Adrian Davis, you all know him very well, he spoke last time he was here on Christ's epistles, where he walked through the letters to the congregations in Revelation 2 and 3. And it was a great summary of his studies on Revelation, but more so, specifically how the messages from Christ in those two chapters should be interpreted by today's body of Christ. And additionally, if you're not familiar with the inner workings of postmodernism and the, the cultural aspects of that, I would encourage you to check out that episode on the armor of God. So the topic I'm talking about today, godly communication, illusion or reality, while it can stand on its own, it really is a support for these other messages that, that we're seeing develop in, the, in the, the church of God here. And in fact, if you do get into going back to seeing all of those messages, I actually gave part one of this back in Burlington, and it's on our, our website, CGI, cgiburlington.org. And again, this message stands on its own for the with concepts I'm going to, to talk about here, but really it's part of an, uh, of, a, of an entire series of messages as we prepare to, to be the body of Christ as the world starts to come apart at the seams. Because communication in this postmodern world is something that the body of Christ must continue to work on. As we raise our young people and bring them into the body of Christ, they are affected by the communication skills and what we see going on in the outside world. You see the example last, last week of Tommy Robinson over in Britain being hauled, off to, being hauled off to jail, acquitted, tried, not acquitted, but indicted, tried, and jailed within three hours. All for simply trying to say his opinion. This is the world that we're coming in on. And this is the world that is, our, that is affecting our young people, that we need to take care to protect the body of Christ from these skills and improve our own communication skills. So as we begin, I'd like to just quickly review part one. Uh, I do encourage you to go check out that, that uh, part one uh, back on our website, cgiburlington.org. It's called A Failure to Communicate. But what we did is we went into, we started off in John 17. I ask you to, to you can flip there if you like. We, we uh, will just look at a quick verse, John 17. And when we look at John 17, what we see is we, you'll recall, this is Christ's prayer to his Father at the end of the Passover service he kept with his disciples and future apostles and pillars of the church before his crucifixion. And when you go down to, you see verse 3, where Christ prays to his Father and says that eternal life is knowing you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And we know that throughout Scripture, the, the basis of Scripture is relationship. Relationship with God the Father, relationship with Jesus Christ, relationship with each other. When you drop down to verse 20, and we see the end of his prayer, his focus there becomes on unity. Let my people have the unity that you and I share, he prays to his Father. Again, this is all about relationship. He is the Logos. Logos means word. We, we hear from God through the word, and the written word here is obviously our scriptures, the word being Jesus Christ himself. The body of Christ is predicated on relationship. Relationships are predicated on communication. We're all in relationships. Parent-child relationships, husband-wife relationships, grandparents relationships, employee-employer relationships, friend relationships, all relationships are predicated on communication. The quality of our relationships 
even our spiritual relationships within the body of Christ, with God, with Christ, is made manifest by the quality and how well we communicate. How well do we really communicate? We see examples in Scripture of God and Adam before woman was created. God bringing him animals to name. And whatever Adam wanted to name it, he named it. When you dig down deep into there, think of the, the intimate communication that God and Adam had at that point, where God would just bring him things and trust him to name them. And then we see what happened when communication went awry in the garden. We see a great example of, of Adam, or sorry, of Abraham back and forth with God about the number of people that God would require to, to be to be devout people so he would prevent Sodom and Gomorrah from being burnt. That was an amazing example of Abraham going back and forth with the Father to get to that point. We see other examples of poor communication skills in in Scripture. And just to recap that part one, the root of not communicating. When we communicate improperly, we, the, the essence of that is fear. Paul tells us that he did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Power, love, and a sound mind counteracts fear. When we have issues communicating, when we disagree and don't know how to communicate, or we choose not to communicate, or we choose to bottle things up, whether it be in our, our relationships here, our home relationships, even within the greater body of Christ, the root of not communicating is fear. That's sort of a brief synopsis of part one. And part one, the, the, the first part of that sermon was really to get into the fact that communication is important. It's, a, it's an obvious point. It's, a, it, it, it's an obvious point, but it is a scripturally based point that relationships require communication. And they require quality communication. But just because it requires communication, what we're going to look at today is the fact that there is effective communication and there is destructive communication. And we see this present here in Scripture. What I'd like to do to begin is go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We just came through the Feast of Pentecost. And I'd like to look at some examples in Acts of effective communication as the body of Christ, the New Testament church, was growing, was, uh, was seated and was developing and was beginning to take root. Acts chapter 2, we go to... Verse 41, we get to the, the end of the day of Pentecost when it had fully come. They'd all come together in one accord. All that preparation that was going on with the, the folks in Acts chapter 1 who were, who were working up to the, the, the Feast of Pentecost fully coming. And let, let's look at, and let's put on our, 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 our communication glasses today. As we're looking through this, these are familiar uh, accounts that we're going to go through. But let's look, let's look at them through. The, the viewpoint of communication and whether it's po- positive and valuable and effective communication or whether it's destructive communication. Verse 41, Then those who, were, who gladly received his word, this is Acts chapter 2, verse 41, were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Imagine these 120 or so that were, that were followers and devout and were, were meeting beforehand. Now there were 3,000 souls added to them. This is a brand new, large, uh, huge body that was now coming together. 
Imagine the dynamic of them becoming family, becoming spiritual family, all that entailed. And they continued steadfastly, verse 42, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. They stayed in their scriptures and they fellowshiped. In the breaking of bread and in prayers. So they spent their time together. They spent their time together, studying scripture, eating together, fellowshipping, getting to know one another, building a relationship. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and, all had, and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, this one accord, this sense of unity that they were building by being together, by going through scripture together, by fellowshipping together, by praying together, by eating, by eating together. From house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. This was a healthy atmosphere where communication was vibrant, where communication was positive, where they were looking to build each other up, where they were, were digging through Scripture and trying to figure things out so they could become a healthy congregation. And as they were healthy, God was able to provide others a home to be. Let's now go to Acts 15. This is really where I, I want to really cut into this now, this topic here in Acts 15. We're going to look at a few examples from Paul's second missionary journey. So the church has some legs under it. It's got some, uh, a couple of decades under it. It's got some experience. It's got some growth. They've gone through some things. They've got elders. They've got uh, 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 deacons in their congregation. They've got structure. And Paul is on his second missionary journey. Here we come to this conflict over circumcision, the Jerusalem Council. We go to this, rightfully so, to look at the concept of uh, God getting out into the greater body of Christ, the fact that Gentiles were allowed to now be grafted in. If they accepted the blood of Christ, they declared him as their savior, they were, they were now allowed to be grafted in to Israel, to the chosen people of God. Let's set that part aside. Let's put on our communication glasses and let's have a look at how they settled this dispute. And this is fascinating stuff. Acts 15, verse 1. And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. This is one side of the issue. Many, and these, these are devout men. These aren't, these aren't Jews. These are followers of Christ, converted followers of Christ, devout men, who, and teachers. They taught the brethren. So this, this was part of the, they were now two to three decades into things. This is part of their structure. These teachers here were teaching what had been taught. That unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. You go back to earlier in Acts, we see that God, through Peter, showed him through his dreams that this was, this was something that needed to be looked at again. And then Paul took on that mantle. Verse 2, Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. No small dispute or dissension. This was a huge, huge topic. People were teaching what they had always been taught, that you must be circumcised. We've got folks like Paul and Barnabas, and we know Peter was on board with this, that this was no longer true. This was no longer part of the teaching, that God had 
brought them along to where this was not true. This was no small dissension. We go back in our history, whether you go internally here or you go into the greater body of Christ, all of the little issues that have split up God's people. This was our Gentiles allowed to be grafted into Israel. This is big. And this was no small dispute that we see here. So what we take from this is dissensions happen. Disputes happen within the body of Christ. They happened with the foundational pillars and leaders of the New Testament church. So what to do? What to do when we have a dispute? Verse 6. The apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. As we read through some of these things, let's not read over some of these words. The words that Luke used from the Greek are very, very important. Pull out your strongs. Look up some of these words. This is what we're going to do here to dig into this a little bit. They came together to consider this dispute. The word consider is from Strong's, number 1492 in the Greek lexicon, the word edo, E-I-D-O. And it means to fully appreciate, perceive, or to comprehend. Then Strong's goes on to describe this word to say to bridge the gap, follow along, to bridge the gap from physical seeing to mental and spiritual comprehension. There is a dispute going on here with two very clear sides. They came together to see what is the real problem here. You've been into little spats with someone, and oftentimes once you get down to the root of it, it really wasn't what you were actually discussing. It's something else that was buried deeper. Maybe there's a trust issue. Maybe there's some other issue underlying it. What they did first to settle this this dispute was to figure out what the real problem was. Let's figure out, let's talk about what the real problem is. We think we know what the problem is, but let's get right down to it and agree that, okay, we figured out what the problem is. That's one. Let's go on to verse 7. And when there had been much dispute, we naturally would then just see, read what Peter says here. This word dispute is equally as important as the word consider. Remember what they were doing. There's an acknowledgement that there's two sides. They come together and they bridge the gap. They figure out what is the real underlying issue here. They weren't just, I think we have a problem. That's not that word consider. This is figuring out what is the real problem here. This word dispute used here in verse 7 is 4803 in Strong's. and I've probably messed that up. Susatasis, 4803. And it means mutual questioning. Mutual questioning. They weren't at the point of arguing. That's not what that word dispute here. They're not arguing over each other like we see in Congress or Parliament back in Canada. They had arrived, they'd considered the matter, they'd got down to brass tacks to figure out what the real issue was, and now they were mutually questioning each other. Mutually questioning each other. Seek first to understand, Stephen Covey wrote, then to be understood. If we want to get to the root of of an issue, I need to know how you're seeing it. Today, what we see is you need to hear how I see it. And if I yell louder, if I speak louder, if I speak first, you won't have a chance to, to get your side in. How the apostles did it 
how the leaders of the New Testament church did it, is they listened. I'm going to ask you some questions because I need to get inside your head and see how you see it. I value the body so much that I don't like that there's a dissension here. This, and this was a huge dissension. This was a huge question. So they got down to this by considering the matter, figuring out what the real issue was, and then asking questions of each other. Think of how that would work in any of the disputes you see in Parliament, in school, in the university circle, circles, in whatever circles you're in. If people stopped and asked questions to see how you... Please explain how you're seeing this. It is so clear to me that Gentiles should be allowed into the body of Christ. But you're my brother or my sister, and you're so adamant about this. Please show them. Please, how do you see it? What, are, you, are you seeing scripture somewhere that I'm not seeing? Are, it, please, please help me understand. Part of effective communication in a contentious dispute involves listening and asking questions. Listening and asking questions. That's what they did to start the process in resolving this dispute. Then we won't go into reading much of the rest of this. What we see here provided, and you can follow the story through here as Luke wrote it, Peter then provides concrete evidence of where God clearly directed him to accept converted Gentiles into the body. Peter speaks up first. Once they agree on the issue, and they've had an opportunity to exchange ideas, we would call it whiteboarding today. Whiteboarding both sides, figuring things out. Once they had an opportunity to do all of this, see, see everything from each other's side, get a full, complete understanding of where the issues are, Peter then stood up and presented evidence from his life where God, was directing, where God had directed him to change his mind. And we see some of that covered by Luke earlier in Acts through his dreams and his interpretation and understanding of those dreams. Paul and Barnabas, once Peter was done, and again, no one spoke over each other here. They allowed each other to speak. Once Peter was done, Paul and Barnabas added more evidence. It says of miracles and wonders. They saw evidence that the word devout Gentiles who had accepted God, accepted the blood of Jesus Christ, and the fruits were and they were bearing fruit. This is evidence. These miracles and wonders that they were able to, in their journey, they were able to provide to the conversation and to the, the, the resolution here. Then, we see down further on in verse 14, 15, 16, and 17, which we won't, go to, we won't read either, we see James, it came his turn, and he backed Peter up by citing Scripture, citing some of the Hebrew Scriptures. Rational discussions, listening to one another, getting to the root of what the issue is, questioning each other, seeing how everybody was seeing it, then opening your Bibles for scriptural support, providing evidence of where you see God working. This is how they came. This is how they handled this dispute. They didn't yell over each other. They didn't go start different groups. They talked quietly, rationally. And, they came, and we'll see where they came to in this, in this spirit of Susitasis, of mutual questioning. Verse 22. Then it pleased the apostles and the elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their, their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named 
Barsabbas and Silas leading men among the brethren. They came to, it pleased them to come to a decision. It pleased them to come to a decision. And then they properly communicated it to the body. They wrote a letter that they all signed. It was clear whether they signed it or not. It was clear that they made it clear through the writing of the letter that everybody that was there was for this. And they distributed this letter amongst all the churches. Then they selected some of the folks that were there to go out and talk to the congregations about this and answer questions. Isn't this an amazing form of, of, of dispute, reconciliation, and resolution? Compare that today to the university circuit, to the political circuit, your country, my country, Europe, wherever. It's all the same. And how we speak over each other. I don't want to hear you. I'm going to be louder than you. Acts 17. Now, when they had passed through, verse 1, Acts 17, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as was his custom, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Reasoned with them from the Scriptures. He took their Scriptures and talked to them and reasoned with them and tried to get inside their heads and have them get inside his head. We see, when you read uh, further down, some were not persuaded, verse 5, the Jews who were not persuaded became, became envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, gathering a mob. We see that today. I don't like what I'm hearing from you, so I'm going to hurt you, physically, verbally. That's what we see today. We see violence. We see people turn to, I don't like what you're saying, so I'm going to be louder than you. I'm going to be stronger than you. I'm not going to listen to you. We see some of the folks back then did this to Paul. Verse 11, verse 10. And the brethren immediately went to Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of Jews. So they left, left this area. They came to Berea. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. They were hearing some things that maybe they didn't get. But their mindset was, feed me. Let's dig into scripture. I'm, gonna, I'm going to hear what you have to say. I'm grateful that you came, that, Paul, that you came here to speak to us. I'm going to hear what you have to say. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to open my Bible and we'll figure out if it matches up with what it says. Compare that to how the Jews reacted to Paul back in Thessalonica. Completely different. This, we see the Bereans in the spirit of Susitasis that we read about back in the Jerusalem Council that was filtering down from the leadership that, that resolved that dispute. They were more fair-minded, these folks. We see further on Paul went to Athens, verse 16. His spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. And here we don't have time to dig, dig too much into this. But down in verse 22, Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with its inscription to the unknown God. 
So what did Paul do? Did Paul say, that unknown God is evil? You must believe in Yahweh. You must believe in Jehovah. No. He said, I'll talk to you about an unknown God. You believe in an unknown God? Let me, come to, let me, let me talk to you about the unknown God. And he spoke to them from Scripture, from his experience, on terms that they could understand. They believed in an unknown God. So Paul was going to communicate with them on their terms so he could bring them along. Verse 34, some believed. Some believed. So he could have come in railing, but he came to them on their terms. He was so comfortable with his understanding of God's way that he could speak to them however they wanted to. He could speak to Jews as Jews. He could open the, the law and show them that, that the law from Genesis right through to Malachi pointed to Christ. Or he could talk to a bunch of Greeks and talk to them about the unknown God and convert. Through him, God converted from both sides. Again, Acts 18, verse 4. We see another example of him reasoning every Sabbath and persuading both Jews and Greeks through reasoning. Calm, rational discussions. So there is a way to effectively communicate. Whether we are communicating the gospel, you're communicating our faith, or we're coming to some sort of resolution over disputes that are much smaller than can Gentiles be allowed into the body of Christ. Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12. While we agree that communication is a good thing in the, Bible, in, in the body of Christ, that relationships are built on communication, not all communication is good. There is ineffective and sometimes destructive communication as well. Numbers chapter 12, verse 1. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. So they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, than, more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. And we see God taking Aaron and Miriam to task for their treatment of Moses. But again, let's put on our communication glasses and let's look at this through the viewpoint of communication. Did Moses, Miriam and Aaron go to Moses with their issue? We got a bit of an issue with you here. We can't figure out, as the leader of Israel, that we heard you married an Ethiopian woman. We know her father's Midianite, and we, there's some sort of dispute, some sort of confusion here. Can, can we talk about this? No. What they did was they together spoke against Moses. They didn't speak to Moses. They spoke together about Moses. This is what we see as destructive, and God saw this as destructive. And this was more. Yes, there's a, there's a bit of a leadership issue here. Moses was the leader of Israel. But Aaron was also a leader. 
Miriam was also a leader. We see as by virtue of her relationship with her two brothers, we see when they crossed the Red Sea, she uh, helped write this song and lead them in song. They All three of them held leadership positions. But there's also a sibling issue here. Secretive, gossip-filled, and certainly not what we saw on display at the Jerusalem Council. Them talking over in a corner that they're it seems their feelings were hurt that Moses was taking all the glory for himself. And I mean, they came from, this, they were brothers and sisters. And, and we've got value to add here. So rather than talk to Moses about it, let's cast aspersions on him because he married an Ethiopian woman. Is that really the big issue here? That really wasn't, there and we, we go back to the Jerusalem council where they considered the matter and God was helping them consider the matter here. It really wasn't whether his wife was Ethiopian. It was their respect for him as leader and whether they were going to, going to work with him. In the spirit of Jerusalem Council, this whole whether his wife was an Ethiopian isn't the issue at all. It was how they were treating Moses. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 10. Because Paul here, in, to the Corinthians in his first letter to them, lists the sins of Israel here that brought them down. And they serve as examples for us. Let's pick it up in verse 6. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 6. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed by serpents. These are some heavy-duty sins that brought them down. Lusting. We see lusting here. Sexual immorality. And complaining. Lusting. Sexual immorality. And complaining is listed here in verse 10. As some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Complaining is on par here with lusting and sexual immorality. Because it destroys relationships. It destroys our ability to communicate. Again, back to Strong's. I'm not a Greek scholar, but sometimes it is important to dig in and figure out what these, what these writers were really trying to say with these English words that sometimes develop. And we see one of the hallmarks of, of our society today is we redefine words. Words are redefined. Marriage is now redefined. There are a lot of words redefined. One of the purposes of going to Strong's is to see how did the, what was the writer's intent? What was the Greek meaning back then for using these words? And this word murmur and complain is important here. It's number 111 in the, the Greek concordance, gogizo, gogizo. And this, this Greek word actually is, a, is an onomatopoeic term, this, this words like squish and sloosh, which become words because they sound like the effect that it has. And they, they took this term, gogizo, for, for this word murmuring because it was this sound, the sound of cooing doves. And it means to murmur, mutter, or grumble in undertone. 
and to show smoldering discontent, droning on in a low, constant murmur. We see Moses communicating with the people. Sometimes, honestly, he got upset with them, but he communicated. What we saw back, back there with Miriam and Aaron is this murmuring off in a corner, which God here puts on the same par as sexual immorality and lust because it hurts relationships. It divides. It does not bring people together. It does not bring people together to solve, resolve disputes. Let's go to Galatians 5. Galatians 5. Here in Galatians 5, we see the fruit of the Spirit, and we also find the works of the flesh. Galatians chapter 5. And as we read quickly through the works of the flesh, let's take notice of how many of these could be combated or prevented through godly communication skills. Following the examples, the positive examples that we've read in Acts. Galatians 5 verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, that, we, can, we can add all that up. That makes sense. There's no, no arguments there. Hatred. Hatred is, in, is manifest in how we communicate. We can't hide our faces. It's hard to hide your face when you hate someone, when you feel hostile towards someone. It's hard to hide your tone. So hatred, part of, hatred, part of combating hatred is in how we communicate and if we communicate it properly. Contentions which is division and strife. Jealousies, rival, which is played out in rivalry. Here's an interesting one. Outbursts of wrath. Outbursts of wrath. This is how people communicate today. People communicate today by outbursts. If I can be the first, if I can be the loudest, then I win. Selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, these are all played out in how we communicate. The strife, the seditions, standing apart, dissension has to be with standing apart. If we communicated properly, there would be no sedition, no dissension. Heresies. Heresies are when where opinions trump truth. Everything should be based on truth, regardless of our opinion. If our opinions differ from truth, that's where we do what they did in the Jerusalem Council, and consider the matter. And question each other and figure out where the issue is and then provide scriptural evidence and evidence in our lives where we do this. Society has lost the ability to rationally talk without taking offense. You may not find that here. We don't find it in our congregation either. But as we work towards the return of Christ, and we see society coming apart at the seams. And now, this gentleman last week that was imprisoned, jailed, indicted, with all in a matter of three hours for speaking his opinion. This is where, this is where I'm afraid the world is headed. And our young people are in these schools, and we need to equip them. 
to be able to properly communicate, to be able to deal with their differences in a proper way. We need to equip each other in a way to deal with our differences. Because as we saw, even amongst the leadership of the New Testament church, disputes happen. We don't always agree on everything. How we come to resolution, that tells God where we are in our relationship, where we are in our growth. We can't let influences we see in the world creep into the church, creep into the body of Christ. We must be above that at all times. God has his bar, and his bar has never changed. But as society dwindles further and further away from the level that God expects us to be at, we, feel, we may feel comfortable allowing our bar to fall, but still be above where society is. We can't focus on where we are compared to society. We need to look up and figure out where we are compared to the bar and the level God sets for us. That's the standards we need to compare ourselves to. You go to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes 7. Verse 9. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 9. Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. And this is not righteous anger that he's talking about. This is clearly unrighteous, foolish anger. So don't let anger fester. We have examples of how to deal with festering anger. Let's now go to James 1, companion verse here, James chapter 1. James chapter 1 and in verse 26. If anyone, James 1, 26, if anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. We can do all the things we want to do, look the, look the part, help everyone. If we allow anger to fester and we don't bite our tongue and deal with our communication properly, all of the works that we do will be chalked up to uselessness. That's how important how we communicate is to God. Because how we communicate, how we deal with our anger, how we deal with our tongue, shows God and shows everybody else where we are on our journey with Him. Are we really all in? Are we really, can, will He really find faith when He comes back? Part of that is made manifest through our communication. Let's go to 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy 2. Paul is winding down. This is his last, chronologically, his last letter that is in the canon to one of his protégés, Timothy. And he's winding down his second letter to him. And we'll pick it up in verse 14. Remind them, he's encouraging this young elder, this young minister, remind the brethren, remind them, the brethren, the church, of these things, charging them before the Lord, 
not to strive about words to no profit. When we communicate, it should be edifying. It should be profitable. It shouldn't be draining. We shouldn't come away exhausted or sorry we interacted with someone. Charge them not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. The body edifies itself. We should not be the cause of ruin in the body. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. So we don't need to hide in a corner. We can be fully confident in our faith and let the world know what our faith is, rightly dividing the word of truth. If we can rightly divide the word of truth, we can also wrongly divide the word of truth. Effective and ineffective communication. So as we, as we divide the word of truth, make sure we do it right. And follow, among other things, that example we saw in Acts 15. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection has already passed, and they overthrow the faith of some. Idle babblings are compared to are like cancer, and we, in this in this part of the world, in the Western world, we are privy to the effects of cancer. Idle babblings start out simply as annoyances. If somebody's idly, ba- idly babbling, it's not that big of a deal. It, initially, it doesn't seem to be. It's just a minor annoyance. Like that first mosquito of the season that gets in your bedroom while you're trying to go to sleep. It's not that big of a deal. It's a minor annoyance. The list of deadly diseases around the world that is borne by mosquitoes is tantamount to being equivalent to cancer. Thankfully, the mosquitoes here aren't like that, but what can be a minor annoyance somewhere else, if left untreated, if left uncontained, can spread like cancer or can spread like the West Nile virus, malaria, dengue fever, Zika fever, this innumerable list of mosquito-borne viruses. Idle babblings, when left uncontained in the body of Christ, can develop into something that is cancerous to the body. So we can't be privy to idle babblings, these un- this unproductive talk. There is a right and a proper way to deal with disagreements. And not just here, in all aspects of your life, in the greater body of Christ between groups, between congregations, between your family, between all of your relationships, when we, when we come upon an opportunity to resolve a dispute or a disagreement. We see that played out in the book of Acts in chapter 15. Listen to all sides. Ask questions so we can completely understand what all sides, both, both sides, and sometimes it can be all sides, sometimes there's more than two sides to a dispute. Then we look for evidence and support from Scripture. That's what the body of Christ does. Not our own opinions. We open the Bible, like the Bereans did, like the newly converted folks did in Acts chapter 2. 
and we look for biblical principles in Scripture to say, what, what, where, can, where can God guide me here through the Holy Spirit to figure out what the answer is here? Where can He guide us? When we look for evidence and support, sometimes it's in addition to Scripture, there can be evidence in our lives where God has worked. God has maybe answered a prayer. God has maybe guided you in uh, discussions with someone to make a prayerful decision led by the Holy Spirit that, you, that reunites us as brethren. There is a right way and an effective way to communicate. And there are destructive ways to communicate. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 12 as we begin to wind down here. Communication is good. Communication is necessary. But there are effective and ineffective, destructive ways to communicate. How do we work towards healthy communication? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. And again, this topic is, will not be completely covered in one sermon. There's, there are many, 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 many Extensions to this topic of communication. But just a, f- a couple of hints here as to we work towards healthy communication. Verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we all come into the body of Christ with roles, with baggage. Whatever your baggage is, it makes you who you are. It makes you who you are. But you are first and foremost a a part of the body of Christ. And we share, we are united by the Holy Spirit. So if ever you find yourself in a dispute in the body, Think first that this is a brother or a sister, and you share, you are united by the Holy Spirit. You are united by the Holy Spirit. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slave or free, and all, we all were made to drink into one spirit. We were both in a a dispute in the body. We were both baptized by Christ. We both partook of his blood. He shed it for each of us. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. We are all one body. There's only one body. Any other behavior, if I put anything ahead of the body of Christ, it's idolatry. Serving me versus serving you places me ahead of God. And that breaks the first commandment. Anything short of having the body of Christ in mind is idolatry. Serving the self before God, Christ and his body, gossip, murmuring, these all drive wedges anywhere in the body. And this, this is, it can be easy to do. It can be easy to do. Let's go to Hebrews 13.
Verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. King James, if you have the King James Version, it says, let your conversation be without covetousness. Conversation, one version. Conduct, another version. This sounds... One version says, let's let your talk be without covetousness. Other versions say, let your conduct be without covetousness. Strong's, when you jump into this word conversation in, King, in the King James, is 5158 tropos. And it further defines this word conversation to mean your way, your manner, your character, and your course of conduct. Because how we conduct ourselves shows God and each other how we feel about him and each other. We can't, we can't hide our mannerisms too well. Maybe you can, but most can't. If there is dissension within us, it's hard to hide. If, there's, if, if I'm in a healthy place with God and, and, everybody, and everybody, we can have a, we can disagree on something, and you'll be able to tell we're still brothers and sisters. And I'm still, I'm still first and foremost putting the body of Christ first. Let your conduct, let how you converse, how you communicate, not be self-serving. That's what Paul is telling here. That's what Paul is, is, is defining here. Our words, how we communicate and interact, all reflect where we have gaps in our Christian walk. As deep as the lessons we are learning when we study, like you've studied here the book of Daniel, like we've studied back home the book of Revelation, book of Hebrews. As massive as these studies are, are on where the, where the body of Christ is headed, what we need to be attentive to the closer Christ returns, how this affects the entire process of sanctification from when we became baptized and we struggle through this life to, until we reach our stage of glorification. So also is this all-encompassing topic of communication. When we boil things down, the relationships we hold are made manifest by our communication. When you dig deep, proper communication supports all we do between now and the body of Christ. Will we be there for each other when the times are really tough? Or will we, as Matthew 24 indicates, be part of the group that turns its back on each other and betrays each other? This is made manifest through our communication and how well we support the body versus worry about our own feelings. Let's commit to each other and hold each other accountable to right and true communication. Let's not participate in gossip, murmurings. And when there are disputes, let's just reasonably, rationally talk about them, crack open our Bibles, and come to some sort of rational, unifying, edifying decision. As we consider improving our communication skills, let me leave you with two quick scriptures. 2 Timothy 2. We'll be quick about this. Let me leave you with two scriptures. 2 Timothy 2. Verse 23. We, were in, we read verses 14 to 19. Let's drop down now to verse 23. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. Knowing, knowing that they generate strife. We don't need to, t to go into that too much. We, we spent most of the last uh, 20 minutes doing that. And the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, 
able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. When you are in a position of service, whatever that is, it can be a position of eldership or it can be other items and positions of service and leadership in the body. There is a right way to communicate. There is a right way to communicate. Hebrews 13, companion scripture. Hebrews 13. Verse 17. Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. When you are in a position of service, as we read in Timothy, there is a right way to communicate. As we read here in Hebrews, when you are in a position of being served or of having leadership over you, in whatever that is, from a ministerial standpoint or any other number of opportunities where we have groups that lead, there's also a right way to communicate. In both cases, proper communication both protects the relationship and encourages more and joyful service. We read what what Paul wrote there. Let, them do, let those who lead you do so with joy and not with grief. When we are in relationships with God and the body of Christ, it is, it is made manifest in how well we communicate. Our relationships are made manifest in how well we communicate. Satan is the God of illusion. Don't fall prey to the illusion that communication has taken place when really it has not.